Hey there, Ass Kickers. Ghost host Andy Lindbergh here, and we are proud to announce that Kick-Ass Oregon History has been nominated for the Best Local Podcast in Willamette Week's Best of Portland 2015 contest. Voting begins June 3rd, so it's already started, and we're asking your help because we want to fucking win this thing. So... Head over to orhistory.com slash vote, and you'll be forwarded to the Willamette Week site where you can create an account and vote for us in the media slash personalities section. There, local podcast is one of the categories. And vote for us. Vote early, vote often. And hopefully we'll win. Thank you. And thanks to the ass kickers who helped get us nominated in the first place. Without further ado... Here's your podcast. Uh, excuse me. Here's your fucking podcast. We brought no money from the states and had none until the gold discovery of 1848. I remember taking in but 25 cents from any source from 1844 until 1848. It is June, 1847, and you just bought a cup of coffee with two pieces of cordwood. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindbergh, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kank Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Kick-Ass Oregon History is a presentation of ORHistory.com and is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit ORHistory.com and click Donate. Imagine for a moment that you moved to a new home in a land far, far away that had no currency, almost none at all. How would you buy things? How would you get paid? This was the state of Oregon before she became a territory of the United States. Consider your pioneer self entering a coffee shop in 1849 Oregon City. Like a cup of hot coffee, please. That'll be three slices of bacon, son. With an extremely limited governing body, currency in the Oregon Territory was just a real fucking mess. Barter reigned supreme. That is, when two parties could agree on a reasonable value for the exchange. When they couldn't, substitutes for money were utilized. 
cordwood was used as currency in the Dalles, which sounds like a real pain in the ass, and heavy too. Mexican and Peruvian silver coins were in circulation, as well as some Spanish doubloons, halves, and quarters. Stores or businesses would take in lots of commodities from farmers and trappers, issuing slips of credit that were called orders. The orders could be transferred or traded between citizens as something like a negotiable bill. But it was still quite awkward, and often exchanged at a discount. Beaver orders issued by the Hudson's Bay Company were regarded as the best tender in the region. For small change, there was Abernathy money, small checks, usually a dollar or less, which could then be used for goods at the Abernathy store. Other stores had orders too, as one early resident stated. When we made a trade, it was so much in Abernathy money or Cooch money or Vancouver money. Vancouver money was the best, because they always had goods and supplies, and the others had not. That state of things lasted until the legislature made wheat legal tender. That's right. He said wheat was legal tender. The beaver order system was hugely advantageous to the British Hudson's Bay Company, and the leaders of the American-leaning Oregon provincial government did not dig this very much they decided to expand the concept of what could be considered currency and approved a system in 1849 that cash could be considered legal tender along with the following items. Available orders, wheat, hides, tallow, beef, pork, butter, lard, peas, and lumber, or other articles of export of this territory. And then something happened in that shitty state to the south that would change Oregon history forever. Resident historian Doug Kane Crispin. Five years after the establishment of Portland, in January of 1848, a curious discovery was made on the American River just east of a town called Sacramento. Gold. On July 7, 1848, nearly six months after the discovery, a 150-ton brig named Honolulu crept into Portland, which was a little fucking weird because this vessel normally only served Hawaii and San Francisco. Captain Newell said that he came to Portland to purchase provisions. Okay, fair enough, but he started purchasing all the picks, the shovels, and the clothes that he could fit into the Honolulu's hold and paying for it all with gold dust. Now, obviously, at the time, news moved very, very slow. And most of the newspapers were essentially clipping services. They would take old papers and basically reprint months-old news in their local broadsheets. And it was the tradition that the captains of the ships that came to town would supply the editors with newspapers from the ports that they had just visited. Surprisingly, the Honolulu had no newspapers at all. Alas, they couldn't keep the secret for long. A few days later, a British ship, the Constance, visited Fort Vancouver and brought copies of a Hawaiian newspaper that detailed the California gold find. The gold rush was on.
Before the gold rush, California had had an immigrant population of about 1,000. After the discovery, that number climbed to 100,000 residents. Due to proximity, Oregonians were some of the first to make it down to the gold fields, and they obtained some of the richest claims. And so many of them went down south that an estimated two-thirds of Oregon's men temporarily relocated to California gold fields. As the Oregonian reminisced, our old-timey Oregonians occupied the cream of the mines. Many of the mines yielded an ounce a day, and some three or more a day. Suffice to say that nearly all of them returned with well-filled persons. It has been estimated that up to $2 billion in precious metals were extracted during the gold rush. Some of this gold came back to Oregon, spent here on equipment, foodstuffs, and lumber provisioning the prospectors. With all of this gold flooding the area, an answer to the currency conundrum was at hand. On February 15, 1849, the provincial legislature approved the making of Oregon coins. But before things could get rolling, territorial governor Joseph Lane arrived at Oregon City just about three weeks after the legislation passed. Oregon was finally a part of the United States, and Lane wasn't having any of this territorial money bullshit, stating that it was in opposition to federal regulations for Oregon to have its own money. Nonetheless, those defiant Oregonians created a private concern called the Oregon Exchange Company and rolled their own fucking money anyways, thank you very much. Finally, the Golden Beaver was born. Golden beavers are coins comprised of pure gold. Federal coins were less pure than the beavers, with some containing up to 10% alloy. Not the beaver, baby. $6,005 coins were stamped, along with 2,850 of the $10 beavers. The coins were 130 and 260 grains, respectively. $5 was the equivalent of around $140 in today's cash, so you can see that these coins still had quite a bit of value in the 1849 economy. Looking at a golden beaver, one observes a rather ugly-looking graphic depiction of a beaver standing over a felled log. David Nelkin, who owns two golden beavers, felt they almost look more like a muskrat or a nutria, but little beavers they are indeed. Coincidentally, it is likely that this is the first depiction of the beaver on something akin to an official seal for the provincial, territorial, or state government iconography of Oregon. And the dyes themselves were Oregon as fuck as well. In 1904, George Himes, secretary of the Oregon Historical Society, said that they had been fabricated from old wagon tires that had crossed the plains in the early 1840s. 
The rollers used to make the coins were later employed by Dr. James Cardwell, a dentist who practiced for 64 years, to roll gold dental plates. Reduce, reuse, recycle. William Rector, described as possessing considerable mechanical ingenuity, was selected to supervise the die-making. Rector wrote of his involvement in the Golden Beaver. As soon as I landed in Oregon City, I was employed to get up something that would put the gold in a convenient shape for use as money. With the aid of a gold blacksmith and a gauge rest for turning iron, I got up an original contrivance for coining money. One of the mission ministries did the engraving. The money was not elegant up to the times, but equally as good as the English coin of George III's reign. I was well paid for this work and continued to work at it until about September 1, 1849, when I determined to go to the mines again. They did not coin any more gold after I left. By some reports, Rector was paid with the same golden beavers that he helped manufacture. The beaver money of Oregon was so excessively honest in its measure of unalloyed gold that it rapidly passed out of circulation and into the melting pots of Californians, who even in that time knew when they were getting their money's worth. So, what the hell happened to all those golden beavers? In short, they pretty quickly became awfully damn scarce. One old-timer said, I never saw any beaver coins since 1852. But 1854 is the generally accepted year as to when the beaver dollars had ceased circulating with any regularity in the Oregon economy. Sure, some were around, a rare pocket piece here and there, but most had met their fate at the Mint in San Francisco when beaver dollars were bought up by the bushel. An owner of a $5 coin was paid a premium of 50 cents, and the $10 was afforded an extra dollar. The Frisco Mint appreciated the pure gold composition, so the golden beavers were melted down and converted to bullion to be recoined in San Francisco. Other golden beavers may have been removed from circulation in a most extreme and unusual manner. One story was recounted in 1904 about Mr. Little's shop in Oregon City. Little was an iron worker who claims that he turned out one of the dyes for the coin. The tale told states that the Indians were in the habit of going into his shop with the beaver $10 pieces, punching a hole in the middle 
and filing away the inside until a gold ring was the result. About six dollars worth of gold was sacrificed in making a ring. Mr. Little saved the filings, but he made a tool by which he could cut out the inside of a ten-dollar piece, leaving the rim for a ring. When an Indian came in the shop with a ten-dollar piece out of which he wanted to make a ring, Mr. Little would cut out a round piece containing about five dollars in gold when the Indian could finish his ring by filing. As the Indian did not care for the piece cut out, Mr. Little made a good deal of money in this way. How many golden beavers were lost in this manner? By being destroyed through the process of being transformed into gold rings? We will likely never know. But enough to help make Mr. Little a little bit wealthier. Little eventually returned back east and was said to have in his possession several hundred dollars in beaver money. Surely other golden beavers were hoarded by collectors or speculators. With such a pure gold content, these little beavers were likely to have been put up and secreted away out of sight, maybe out of mind. Surely there are others awaiting the opportunity to be revealed by the observant and patient researcher. Now, before you get too excited to rummage around estate sales and hayseed thrift stores, or go on our treasure tour, beware the golden beaver imitator. In 1859, the North Clackamas County Chamber of Commerce issued their own golden beaver in order to defray expenses of centennial events in the county. 20,000 of the coins were struck, and they were sold for 50 cents each. Around the circumference of the coin, it reads, A souvenir from miraculous North Clackamas County an exact replica of the historic beaver $10 gold piece. Now, while the coin contains no gold and was issued over a hundred years after the original, these North Clackamas County coins do have some value. The coin connection, appropriately enough, in Beaverton, had the coin listed for $249 on their website at the time of the recording of this podcast, they were all sold out. Another Oregon coin collector came up during the research for this program. Just last year, David Nelkin of Eugene Coin and Jewelry purchased a $5 beaver coin for over $257,000. He is the eighth owner of this specific coin since paperwork was started in 1963. In an interview with the Eugene Register Guard, Nelkin said that he considered the chance to purchase the coin as once in a lifetime and regarded this specific golden beaver as his holy grail. Recently, resident historian Doug Kank Crispin trekked down to Eugene to speak with David Nelkin about his extraordinary golden beaver coin. Nelkin was quite kind and allowed the resident historian to examine and photograph the coin, which he typically keeps in a bank safe deposit box. Coins, and uh, this one happens to be 
the finest preserved beaver coin, either of the fives or the tens known. So that attracted me to it. And it's just absolutely beautiful. It's, uh, it's uh, phenomenal. In your time as a coin collector, how many opportunities have you had to buy a beaver coin? Well, there, there are coins available, and they have been for a while. Uh, a lot of the um, beaver coins have, are, are somewhat damaged um, and in lower grades because they, they circulated as, as money in, in, the to in uh, pioneer days. So I've had um, other opportunities to buy them, and I actually own another one. Um, but a five dollar, well. another five dollar as well. But it's nowhere near the quality, obviously, of this one. The uh, ten dollar beavers are actually a lot scarcer than the fives. Um, these coins uh, had more gold in them than the stated value. So a lot of them got melted down for the extra 10, 15, 20 cents, whatever was in there in, in the um, 1850s, 1860s. And so, so a lot of them uh, disappeared um, because of that. So there's a select few that are left. Now in your business, have you come across fakes of the beaver coins before? There, there's, well, I would say there's a lot of copies that have been put out both, uh, not not both, but from like numismatic societies or um, plated copies that, that are really, in my mind, not meant to fool somebody. It's they're obvious copies. Uh, I haven't seen any copies that were meant to deceive, that were actually either struck out of gold. Um, and meant to deceive. So not, not very many of those, but lots of lots of uh, nominal reproductions. And the design has been used on many, many medallions and tokens in, in Oregon's history. We've seen a lot of those. Yeah, we saw some for, um, I think it was North Clackamas County for the centennial. They issued uh, some coins, you know, and it said around the side, you know, that it was an exact replica. Certainly. You know, and Certainly. they sold those for fundraising. Yes, exactly. So. And I, I think there was another one that, that was actually made out of gold that was maybe made in uh, either Baker, Baker City um, also that, that, um, that they had a limited edition amount that they made out of the native gold also, uh, close to the correct uh, purity that this one is made out of. Uh, but again, it said copy on it, like, like every true copy technically should say according to uh, government regulations. So let's say I had a couple hundred thousand dollars and I wanted to buy a beaver coin. Would it be easy for me to do? Absolutely. It would. It would. Sure. So with that kind of money, they're not incredibly scarce. No. No. You, you could, matter of fact, at the um, Portland American Numismatic Association show in uh, this spring, um, there was a beaver coin that was in the auction uh, that... Uh, 
failed to reach its reserve at uh, in the low $40,000 range. Okay, okay. Each coin according to its quality as far as value. So... Now, in 2006, a collector in Legrand bought a $5 beaver coin for about $125,000. You know, with the amounts that are out here, I mean, do you have, you yourself have an idea of kind of where these coins are at? No. I mean, I know, I know, I've seen several um, uh, at the at, at the ANA show again in Portland, I saw a collector's $10 beaver he showed me and he said that he was the underbidder in the auction where I bought this one. Um, so uh, I don't know where they all are at. You know, there's most likely somewhere between 50 and 100 pieces that are probably out there. So they're relatively widely scattered. And of course, the ten dollars beavers are much more scarce than the Definitely fives. Definitely scarce. There's no known uncirculated ten dollars beavers. They're, they've all, all the ones that are known so far have all been uh, used. Whereas the one that I have is uncirculated, and there's another uncirculated one as well. But this is the finer of the of the two. So this is pretty much the finest specimen of beaver coins yes. out there. That's why I bought it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was the attraction to me. Yeah. That that it was the finest and so that has a that has a a, a magnificent appeal. But the history, you're really into the history of it absolutely. as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, being a long-time Oregon coin dealer and um, you can't you can can't be a coin dealer and not appreciate history as part of the attraction of, of coins and um, you know the coin being made up in Oregon City and, and the whole pioneer aspect of, of the coinage and we have other Oregon coins as well the Oregon um, commemorative 50 cent piece which commemorates the, the migration the pioneer migration that has an Indian on one side and a wagon train on the other it's a very popular commemorative coin made for multiple years in production at the mint and uh, it's extremely popular and considered one of the the finer designed coins of in American numismatics now this is purely speculative here do you think that there are beaver coins out there somewhere I mean a lot of them were hoarded do you think they're stashed away in shoeboxes somewhere that, that people just I, don't know about? I've got to believe that there's some more out there that are in someone's dresser drawer, in, in the attic, in, you know, the button jar, uh, someplace like that. Um, I doubt highly that we'll ever see one in the quality of the one that, that I have. But they're out there, and, and they appear, and uh, like I said, I bought another one uh, several years ago that was circulated, but I didn't know the day that this person walked in my door with it that I was going to see one, so anything can happen. Well, thank you so much for having us down, and thank you so much for showing us that coin. Oh, it's yeah, it's such, my pleasure. such a treat. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share it with, with you and, and uh, your listeners. Thank you so much. You're Appreciate welcome. it.
One of our favorite love-hate historians of Oregon's past wrote about a 1958 display at the Oregon Historical Society. Stuart Holbrook penned that, The beaver money dies were turned over to the Oregon Historical Society where they belong and where they are on display, along with coins of both the $5 and $10 denominations, the whole making as handsome a sight as you would care to see. In my chat with David Nelkin, he expressed a desire to see his rare golden beaver to be on display again, with the dyes, like Holbrook describes. Something for Oregonians to enjoy, a slice of our history, and a truly unique solution to a deep problem with money. And here's hoping that we'll see that handsome display again, and kick-ass Oregon history would love to do our part to help that happen. Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers. Just one more appeal for you to head over to orhistory.com vote and help kick-ass Oregon history win the best local podcast in Willamette Week's Best of Portland 2015. We would really appreciate your help. That's orhistory.com vote. And it's even just on the front page. So just go to our website, click the button, vote for us and whatever other restaurants or bullshit you like but vote for us vote for us vote for us vote for us thank you for listening ass kickers and be on the lookout for future podcasts from orhistory.com we hope that you agree that today's episode featured some kick-ass oregon history Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kank Crispin and Andy Lindberg. Citations are available on request. Kick-Ass Oregon History is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Follow us on Instagram at Kick-Ass Oregon History. We're also on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more Kick-Ass Oregon History in your life? Become a podcast supporter. Learn more at orhistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kent Crispin, or he'll ask you to vote for us too. Please vote. Please vote. Please vote. Please vote. Please vote. Please vote. Thank you. Please vote. Please vote. Please vote. Thank you. Please vote. Please vote. Thank you. Please vote. Thank you. Please vote. Thank you. Please vote. Please vote. Vote, please vote. Oh, fuck it. You get the idea. You stay historic, Oregon. And kick ass.
orhistory.com.